0: Hi, this is Darren Freeman and you're listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast.
1: and Focus Podcast. My name is Matt Wachler and you join us at a crucial time of the season as we prepare to face our West London rivals, Brentford, under the cottage lights on Friday night. A rare home win for the Whites against the Bees would keep us well in the hunt for automatic promotion and we most definitely do not want to think about the alternative. Joining me tonight firstly is my friend and yours is J Mac. How are you, mate? Very good, mate. Very good. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. All good. Also joining us from behind enemy lines is Brentford fan Jimmy Cairns who's here to give us some insight on our opposition. Thanks for joining us, Jimmy. Are you good, my friend? Yeah, and thanks
0: for having us. Really excited to get this one done.
1: We're going to get into looking forward to the game shortly, but before we do that, I caught up with Danny recently to talk about a man who played for Fulham and went on to become one of the club's most popular and important figures of all time. Fulham. Right, I've got Danny with me to talk about one of my favourite ever men to be associated with Fulham for so many reasons. Having just been relegated to the basement division in 1994, Mickey Adams followed Ian Branford from Southampton to Fulham that summer as a player who was to move into a coaching role later on. Let's begin by talking about Mickey Adams, the player, though, Danny. Predominantly a left-back. I think he played a more advanced role for us, as Robbie Herrera was our left-back at the time. Um, I looked it up, and Wikipedia says he scored eight goals in 29 appearances. I felt like he played more games than that, but, you know, he can't criticise Wikipedia. Um, he was something of a dead ball specialist, though, and scored several free kicks and penalties. Do you remember anything about him as a player? I know you're
2: a little bit younger than I am. <laughs> How you doing, mate? You are all right? Yeah, good, mate, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would have been about eight at the time. Uh, I remember the squad really well, and of course, I, I, I would say I remember Mickey Adams more as a manager. Um, but that, that's exactly what I was going to say before, before you said it, free kicks. I don't know why, but that, that's the first thing that comes to mind when I think Mickey Adams is the player. Same, um, same. Was he a player manager for a little while as well? I looked it, el- on.
1: looked it up earlier and um, that season, I think the only time I can remember him being on the bench as a player manager during the promotion season was against Cardiff at home. Um, but I looked it up and he was also player manager at Swansea and Brentford as well after he left, but we'll come on to that. Um, but he, I don't
2: think he ever subbed himself on, no. I don't really remember him as a, as a player, but we're doing him for what he did as a manager. That's that's why we're here to focus on on what he did for us. I mean, incredible. Obviously, you're a bit older than me, so you actually suffered where I didn't. I, I was obviously too young to understand what the club was going through in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. Um, First Ian Bramford and then Mickey Adams, I think they, they transformed the mentality of the club. You know, what you've got to imagine when you're you're down and out and, and you're on your last legs, as Fulham were, even though Jimmy Hill and the Muddyman family had saved the club, there was we didn't have a pot to piss in, did we? So I think that the players at that time took that to their advantage a little bit. Uh, they they knew that the club weren't gonna get rid of them because they couldn't afford to. They couldn't afford to replace them. And and I think maybe there was quite a lethargic, dare I say it, not quite professional mentality around the club. It was, you know, just going through the motions and you had managers like Alan Dixon, Don Mackay, who were very nice people, but maybe too soft to kick them into gear. Uh, Ian Bramford comes in. I think it wasn't very popular with the, uh, the fans, was he? You know why that uh, is, though?
1: It, it came, he came from Southampton. And Southampton fans hated him. They they had some nasty T-shirts printed up um, when he was managing Southampton and he was forced out of Southampton. Um, so, yeah, his reputation was on the on the floor, Ian Bramford. Then he came to us and we were like, oh, brilliant, this is just what we need. And, of course, results weren't brilliant under Ian Bramford when he was manager, which is why, you know, we talk about that season when we were uh, 91st in the in the football league. That was under Ian Bramford.
2: Yeah, but at, at the same time, I think... Coming from Southampton, who were in the Premier League, his standards of how a football club should be run, even if he was failing there, were a lot higher than what Fulham were had at the time. Mm. And it almost needed that unpopular, I don't give a shit what you think of me kind of person to come in yeah. and just completely change the mindset of all the players, all the staff, even the fans. And... Maybe it hit a season. I mean, we almost made the playoffs, yeah. didn't we? Yeah. We almost made the playoffs in his first season.
1: In Ian Bramford's first season.
2: In Ian in Bramford's first season. Yeah. We, we almost made the playoffs, didn't we? We finished about ninth. Yeah. And then the following seasons, when it started to go downhill. Yes. And and that's when Mickey Adams took over. And you could argue that Bramford may be taking Fulham as far as he could. And then that's when it needed Mickey Adams to come in. Because he had been part of the playing squad, so the players knew him. But he wasn't the kind of manager that would tiptoe around you and and put his arm around your shoulder. He he would be honest with you and tell you if you were shit. Maybe that's what Fulham needed in order to to kickstart the rebuild
1: and the future we've had. Well, from what you were saying, though, you know, the likes of Don McKay and Alan Dix being nice people... That wasn't working, was it? So to have somebody who's come in and, and been a bit of a bastard, maybe, that that was, you know, and as, as supporters, we don't really care. And we don't get to see that at the time, what's going on. All we see is what's going on on the pitch. And the results started to pick up under Mickey. But I, do, I just want to go back just ever so quickly and talk about a match which is synonymous with Mickey Adams, the player, and that was Ashford away um, in the FA Cup. I do you remember anything about it? Because I was there and I, I still haven't properly dried off all these years later. Now go on, you yeah. carry on, mate. So, um, it's pissing down with rain it, uh, in Ashford and the game would have been called off. Obviously, non-league pitch, boggy, muddy pitch would have been called off had it not been for the fact that Sky were down there. Um, and the I remember being, we had behind the goal and just a little bit of the side as well. And I, I couldn't really see. I, I'm six foot three and, and at the time I, I couldn't really see um, because it was just a, a flat like block of concrete we were stood on and I was right near the back um but we're 2-0 down and my mum and I just decided to to pack it in at 2-0 down and go back to the car trashed off back to the car by the time we got back there it's two all and Mickey Adams has scored two late penalties and that's that's the game that I always think of although as you said you, you kind of you think of Mickey Adams a player of, for Fulham as scoring free kicks he was um he's he's very synonymous with that match and then we we did beat Ashford in the replay so um doesn't mean much anymore, but it's just one of those classic Fulham memories where you think, bloody hell, that, that was low, being 2-0 down away at Ashford in the rain, somehow getting back in it. And I don't even think there were penalties either, to be honest, but we we got away with one that day. Did, um, it, did he strike you as a leader on the pitch? Um, at the time, I don't really think I was paying much attention to that. Um, I wasn't wasn't really looking for who were who were leaders. I mean at that time I guess I was thirteen, fourteen. I was just going to watch some football and um watching some crap football actually and um and hoping we were we were gonna get a result and I always looked to Mickey to 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 score for us really um because we, we had Mickey Conroy. Nick Cusack was playing up front when he first signed. Obviously he was converted as a as a sweeper in the um in the ninety-six, ninety-seven season. Um but he joined us as a centre forward. Um, a not particularly good one, um, but Mickey did he strike me as a leader? I, I don't really remember to be honest, but he he was definitely one of my favourite players. And I remember um, I was given the, uh, a project to do in in art, and we had to pick a um, a celebrity or a famous person who um, who we wanted to focus on. And for some reason, I decided I was focusing on Mickey Adams, who nobody else at my school had ever heard of. Um, and our homework one week was to um, was to just go and find a picture of this celebrity. Um, so I waited for him. We it was Gillingham away. Um, and I waited after the game for him, um, to, to just take his picture. And it seems stupid now. Um, but he didn't come out. So we just, we just wandered into, um, into the, the players lounge because you could back then. There was no security on the door and he was stood there having a chat because he was, he used to play for Gillingham, I think back in the day. So we obviously still had some friends in there and I, I told him what I had to do. And I, I ended up having a picture with him. Shaking his hand, and then um, then years later, I went to the, um, the the Mickey Adams book launch thing at Craven Cottage a couple of years ago, and um, and had another picture with him then. So I've now got these two pictures side by side, of us both looking significantly older and fatter, and probably grayer as well. Um, but yes, that that was quite cool. But that that's another one of my memories of him as a as a player. But we didn't know then that he was going to go on to be such a such a legendary club figure as a manager. Um, so let's come on to that then. So. In early 1996, we were in real danger of being relegated, as we we already mentioned. We were 91st in the football league. I went to that Torquay away game, and Torquay beat us two-one, and Torquay were the only team below us in the entire football league. That was a real, real dark day, as, as many supporters will will know. Um, Ian Branford then moved upstairs to become general manager, and Ian Bramford was uh, was a man who, as we said, wasn't the most popular of managers, but as soon as he moved upstairs I think people began to appreciate his influence on the club a little bit more. Uh, Mickey Adams took over as first team manager and his first job was to steer a club who had a failing mix of players to safety um, and he did do that as well. Um, Dally, when Mickey Adams first took over as manager what, what do you really remember?
2: Yeah well I think the, the writing was always on the wall uh, when he signed for Fulham that he wasn't coming to Fulham just to be a player I think that that was the intention all along, was to always be under the wing of, of Bramford. He was never quite one of the lads. I think the other players were always quite wary of him. And I think the players were quite wary that he could eventually become the manager. So when he was eventually given the job, I don't know. I think, I think the players knew he weren't going to be the type of person that was going to take any bullshit. And Maybe that's what the players needed. He reminds me of a bit of an an old fashioned kind of manager uh and maybe maybe more suited to the lower leagues than the the Premier League where it's a bit more bubble wrapped and you know less less make them feel a million dollars. I don't think he he was a very loving manager, and at the end of the day he got the best out of dare I say it, quite an average bunch of
1: players. 100%. 100% yeah. I, I also remember a story about him travelling up from Southampton with some of the other lads as, as a player. I think you had like Mark Blake and and Glenn Cockrell later on as well when he signed Glenn Cockrell. And as soon as he became manager, it became apparent that he had to cut ties with those players and travelling on his own because it, it was beginning to cause a bit of a rift in the squad.
2: Yeah, well, and that's what I mean. He was very serious about the role. Yeah. and And like you said, he wasn't afraid to lose friends over it. He, he was very much his own mind. And I think that's why it worked so well with Alan Cook, because speaking to a few of the, the, the players from that era, Cooky was quite a, a comical fella and, you know, yeah. very laid back, good cop, bad cop. Mm. And I think it probably needed that balance to take the edge off of just how brutal Mickey Adams could be. But I suppose if you're going to be a manager, you, you have to make those sacrifices. You can't be one of the lads, can you?
1: Definitely not. I, I went to, as I said, I went to that um, evening with Mickey Adams at the cottage a couple of years ago, where he was promoting his autobiography, which I can heartily recommend. is is excellent. Um, and he spoke about the summer before the promotion season, where he just had to get rid of all the crap out of the squad. Um, and he was saying that you know Gary Brazil free transfer. Well, do you not think we ought to give him a new contract? No, free transfer. Like multiple players, he just went free transfer. Let's get rid, get rid, get rid. Um, and as a man with no previous managerial experience, I just found that such a, a bold move and a bit of a gamble, but one that ultimately paid off. And as you say, it kind of just backs up what, what you're saying about him, you know, being quite ruthless.
2: Yeah, I mean, and, and it comes back to the... I feel I feel like I'm repeating myself here, but the same thing with Ian Bradford. They, they both come from a high standard playing at the top level, and he could obviously see... There, there was fundamental issues with some of these players. I'm not going to name names. I'm not. I'm not necessarily saying that Gary Brazil fits that agenda, mm. but just to say, no, get rid of him. Get rid of him. Get him out. Let's start again. I think sometimes you need to have a clear out in order to have a proper transition and rebuild. You can't rebuild on top of you know soft ground, can you?
1: I th- I only used Gary Brazil as an example because he was the first one that came to mind, and also. He, was, he did have a few goals in him at, at that lower uh, lower level. And, um, you know, it was it was, it was a gamble to, to get rid of somebody like that because he was one of our probably better players at the time. Not that that was particularly difficult. Um, but these players, he then replaced them with a series of free transfers who were something of unknown quantities. You know, the likes of Richard Carpenter, Danny Cullip, Paul Watson, Darren Freeman, Mark Wilson. It was a risk, but it was one that was to pay off spectacularly.
2: Yeah, and not having any superstars, I think worked quite well, because I, I I don't think Mickey Adams uh, as a manager or, or as a personality was the type that would have entertained uh, an Anthony Knockart, for example. There was no big egos in there doing full and focus and, and doing all these these interviews and stuff. I, I feel very proud to have spoken to most of that team. And they're so easy to get hold of, and so happy to talk about their time at Fulham. They're very down to earth people, yeah. uh, and I think that's why they worked so well as a team. You know, they had a a never say die attitude. What 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 more can you say? That we were the underdogs. You know, we had nothing to lose. We we didn't have a pot to piss in. This is this is before the Al Fire era. So, yeah, you know, we no one could have envis- envisaged that happening at the time.
1: This, and, is why this, is, this is why this is my favourite season, though, because there well, were no that's expectations. That's what makes it so didn't... remarkable. Yeah.
2: That's what makes it so remarkable and so legendary is that we were going nowhere for so long. And, and even with this team, I, I don't think many people saw a bright future. We were just plodding along. And, and it literally came out of nowhere. Yeah. It was, it was such, a, such a nice reward for all those fans that had suffered for so long. And it was like a a release of all that pressure and all that worry, I just for one season, just went away. Uh, and obviously, climax with the the winning goal at Carlisle, where it was mm. all but confirmed that we were going to do it. Yeah. And just, you know, Fulham have always been the kind of club that I think have done things the right way and for the right reasons. And no no set of fans deserved that that season more than we did at the time. Yeah,
1: no, I completely agree. <clears throat> in, in order for that to happen, though, not only did we have to get the the right signings in, but we had to keep hold of a couple of key people. One of which was Simon Morgan, um, who Mickey Adams convinced to stay despite there being a firm offer on the table from Gillingham in the summer. Gillingham, of course, who had just celebrated promotion at the end of the previous season on the Craven Cottage pitch, so they came after Morgs, but he decided to stay, and he was he was an integral part of that team, wasn't he, Simon Morgan?
2: Funny enough, uh, one of one of our interviews has come with Simon Morgan, and I asked him mm. that question about him. How close was you to signing? He reckons there was never an offer on the table. Yeah, uh, Mickey Adams tells it. Better. Better. Mickey
1: Adams. Know. Mickey Adams tells it very differently. Yeah, so really? I'd be, be interested oh, well, to know the actual truth, but some somebody's. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> we'll probably um, never know. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in the end of the day, it doesn't matter. He stayed, no. and and again. That's why Simon, Simon Morgan is Mr. Fulham. That's why he's admired so much by the fans because he was there throughout it all, from from the very dark days all the way until, you know, he, it's like he, he saw us off into the Premier League and then and then went off and did his own thing. It was like he completed the full circle with us. And, you know, by staying and not, and not going when he was clearly too good for the level we, we signed him at because he dropped down a division to sign for us from Leicester. Yeah. He was clearly too good for the bottom division, you know. And I, I think that just epitomizes what he was like as, as a person and the law he showed to Fulham. Equally, it shows how dominant Mickey Adams was as a manager. You know, yeah. if, if Mickey Adams says you're not going, you're not yeah. going. End of. Don't matter yeah. what fees on the table, he, he was a very decisive manager, he was also very lovable. Very loved by the fans and, and we didn't see that side of him. This is only from what I've learned from speaking to other players. We saw a, a manager that was very suited to Fulham. And he came across as a gentleman to me.
1: You don't always have to like your manager that you play for, as, as long as there's respect and as long as he can as you know, as long as people can see that he's doing things for the right reasons and trying to get the best out of his players, regardless of there's more than more than one way to to skin a cat, as the saying goes, you know, some some managers find success by doing things one way, whereas another manager will, you know, do them slightly differently, but still still get results and and you know it, it definitely happened for Mickey.
2: I was struggling to <laughs> find the right way to put it, but you just hit the nail on the head. Respect. Hmm. Now, I'm not sure all the players liked Mickey Adams as a manager, hmm. but I think everybody at Fulham Football Club respects him for what he did. Yeah. And with without him, God knows where we'd be.
1: Yeah, things would be very, very different because we wouldn't have got out that season. Who knows then if the Alfired offer would have come in in the summer. Sorry, the Alfired takeover. And then who? Knows, I think everything would have been so different had that season not happened when it did.
2: Well, it's, it's, um, it's arguably the, the most important season in our history.
1: Yeah, but we didn't know it at the time. But knowing what we know now, of course it is. Well, I was um, only eight to be fair. So yeah. I'd
2: like to think I'd like to think at thirty-one, I'm a little bit wiser, a little bit.
1: I was I was fifteen, so it's brilliant, an absolute perfect age. No responsibilities or anything in my life. I could just completely focus on on Fulham, and th- at that time in my life, it was it was just perfect. Um, also, key to uh, the turnaround in the club's fortunes was the former Mickey Conroy that season. Somehow, he went from being a an average striker in the, the bottom division to somebody who just everything he touched flew into the back of the net, headers, left foot, right foot. It, it was a, such a turnaround because I remember him being a bit of a donkey for us the, the previous couple of years.
2: Yeah. And and, and Terry Angus recalled um, a moment when, before that season started, I think it was the pre-season, where Mickey Conway refused to do a run or something, something along those lines claimed he was injured. Yeah. And Mickey Adams was not happy, proper slated <laughs> him. I think he made him walk from, from, for miles from where they were back to the training ground. And so sort of really <laughs> humiliated him. And, yeah. and, and Terry said, you, you just, Mickey Conway was not that kind of guy to respond to that. He was, he was quite a, a sheepish character, very, yeah. very um, quiet. And he, he thought the right and was on the wall. That was it. He's finished. Yeah. And then just out of nowhere, he gets a goal, you know, at the beginning of the season. Mm. And it's just something sparks. And, and like you said, he scored 23 goals in that promotion season. Yeah. 23 league goals. You know what I mean? Phenomenal. Mm. So, yeah. and, and, and that's one of my clear memories of that season is Robbie Herrera left back uh, and Mickey Conroy up front. You know, they're, hmm. they're the two players, the first two players I think of when I think of, uh, and Darren Freeman on the wing. You know, yeah, that's, definitely, that's, definitely, Darren. They're the first three things I think of when I think of Mickey Adams' team. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he, again, he, Mickey Adams just got the best out of an average bunch of players. I think that was Mickey Conroy's level, but to get oh, 23 gotcha. goals out of him is phenomenal.
1: Fantastic. So, what was your standout memory from that promotion season then?
2: Well, I mean, you know, when when you're eight years old, um, you don't really appreciate at the time individual matches. I don't think. I don't think you um, you go into a game thinking, "Oh, blimey!" You know, we're we're five points off the top. You know, it's a must win today, or yeah. you know, with three more three more wins, we're promoted. It, you know, each game as it comes, and and it's it's just such a wonderful experience to be with your granddad and and your mum, and you know, it's a great day out and. I think my stand-up memory of, although I remember the whole team, I mean, I could name you them all for fun, um, yeah. really clear. That's my first clear memories of Fulham is Mickey Adams' team. But my, my stand-up memory is is meeting Mickey and the players at the end of that season when they had the family fun day on uh, at the cottage, took a penalty against Mark Walton and missed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: did he save it uh, or did you miss?
2: He saved it, but uh, oh, okay. he didn't have to move. Let's 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 say, it. yeah, it was. It at least was you short. got it on target. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll, yeah, <laughs> we'll leave it there. Uh, <laughs> and then, and we went into the, the riverside stands. And I remember going into a bar. Can't remember what one, but it, I remember going into a bar and, and meeting Mickey Adams, and he was talking to my grandad, and he, he he patted me on the head and just smiled at me, and he's just looking mm. up at him, thinking. You know, like he was like the messiah, like, yeah. you know, it's, you know what I mean? Just looking up at your heroes. And yeah, I mean, my, my dad's a Man United fan. So at the time, he was still trying to convince me to be a Man United supporter. So I was going to Fulham for, from a young age with my dad still trying to, you know, are you Man United this, Man United that. And, and Man United at the time were, you know, best club in the world, probably. But there was just something about Fulham, and it was that season that it just it just hit me. You know, this is where this is me, and yeah, you know, I'll never forget meeting him. No, never, yeah. never forget it. I can remember it as clear as day.
1: So meeting me Mickey Adams that season was your standout moment from that season, right? I,
2: I just think I just think the whole the whole day celebrating promotion, all yeah. the, all the players, all the fans on the pitch, everyone together, and you know Fulham very quickly changed in my life. You know, after that season, our fire takes over, we end up shooting up the leagues mm. and and the whole club changed. Everything changed. I remember, you know, a, a guy called Arthur, the old boy that used to be on, on the cottage gate and it he used to let us um, through, the, through the cottage Bench. gate, you know, because he mm. knew my granddad and it was just, yeah. you know, the, the fans manned the gate. It just, mm. it, things changed so quickly. Yeah, and I'm just so grateful to, to Mickey Adams and, and to my family for introducing me to Fulham so young and getting to experience that, you know, getting to meet yeah. all the players. And just, it it was a proper football club back then. It was so different.
1: I think talking about memories from that season, I didn't go to Carlisle, regrettably. Um, I wasn't at Mansfield when we were promoted. But um, I wasn't late in Orient, and I think that's one of the standout memories of the season. Not only did we win two on 0 a, on a Sunday lunchtime at Brisbane Road, but Terry Angus was stood up in the in the crowd, conducting the fans with stand up if you're going up, and he was the first one up, up on his feet with his hands above his head, which was absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, brilliant. also. Also, um, absolutely smashed Darlington six 0 at home, where everything that we hit that day seemed to fly into the back of the net. And it was—it's was normally us at that level that was that was on the end of those sorts of scorelines. So that was a special one. Also, Cardiff away as well. I remember we scored in the first minute away at Cardiff. I think um, Conroy scored, and then Blake Blake scored a um, Mark Blake scored a penalty, and we were singing about having Freddie Mercury in our goal at Tony Lang that day. It was just brilliant uh-huh. memories. It was, it was just all so also. Yeah. It was it was all so different back then, but just, it, you know, brilliant. I, I, loved, Swan, it. I loved it. Swansea at home was quite yeah. a big one. Yeah, yeah, because we just came off the back of a, a really bad run of results, haven't we? And we turned it around. Yeah. I think we were we were losing that game as well, and Paul Brooker scored a last-minute goal.
2: Yeah, 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 something like that. But I think we won 2-1. Um, yeah, yeah, we did. Were like, it was top three to go up, and they were fourth, weren't they? And we were on yes. a, quite a slippery slope at the time, so... yeah. Exactly. It, was, it was a vital win. That sort of changed it again. That, that gave us
1: that breathing space. Yeah, it did. It did. And we went on from there and kicked on. It was great. Yeah. Well, having been promoted, that summer, of course, Mohamed Al-Fayed bought the club. Mickey Adams signed players like Aidan Newhouse, quickly nicknamed Aidan Shithouse amongst supporters. Andre Renzi, Paul Moody, and, and just a handful of games into that season, he was ruthlessly sacked and replaced by Ray Wilkins underneath Kevin Keegan. How did you feel when he was sacked?
2: I'm pretty sure he signed Neil Smith as well.
1: Yes, you're right. He did yeah, he did. that
2: yeah. was that summer. Yeah, yeah. Um, how did I feel when he was sacked? Well, again, at the time, I was too young to really, really understand it all. You know, it was it, one minute he was here, one minute he wasn't. And
1: yeah,
2: I suppose um, had we been a Premier League club at the time, the coverage would have been massive, uh, and and a bigger deal would have been made of it. It was only really amongst the. The fans that you know, the older fans like yourself and and you know generations above that, at the time recognized what Mickey had done for us and and how unfair it was, uh, and and no, no two ways about it, no matter what way you look at it, it's 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 really unfair. Mm-hmm. But but Mickey, you know, Alfired was was a man who who knew what he wanted and and wanted to get there quickly. And as much as you love Mickey Adams, I, I do say that. He was more suited to the lower leagues than it than he would have been to the to the um, top divisions. I know he got there with Leicester, but he didn't last at the top for very long. And it needed, I think, big names like Kevin Keegan and Ray Wilkins to to come in and and attract the likes of Chris Coleman and Kit Simons, uh, Peter Beardsley, you know, Philip Albert. I mean, those kind of players would have never come to Fulham. Rufus Brevitt... They would have never come to Fulham uh, no. in in that level, um, the third tier, no. if it wasn't for Kevin Keegan. No, let's face it. So, as as harsh as it was, you can't say it was the wrong decision because look at what happened. You know, I think it proved to be the right decision.
1: It was the right decision, but it was it was a tough one to take at the time because you know the first bit of success that we've had. And you know, the the man who bought it to us was just, you know, booted out straight away. But yeah, I, I agree it was it was the right decision with hindsight, but at the time it, it didn't feel like it. Well, he went to Swansea very briefly after uh, after his sacking, didn't last long there at all. When he was Brentford manager very soon afterwards and he came up against us when we drew one all at the cottage, and I remember him walking out of the cottage as Brentford manager, and him just get everybody ignoring Ray Wilkins, who was our manager, and just going mad for Mickey Adams, singing one Mickey Adams, and him in clapping and waving back. And um, we drew one all that day, and then we we played them at Griffin Park later in the season as well, and we we beat them two nil. I think you're unlikely to ever see Fulham fans give a, a Brentford manager such a great re- reception again, aren't you?
2: Oh well, hundred percent. This wasn't a Brentford manager, was it? This was a Fulham legend. No. Let's get it right. You know, um, it was a quite a, a unique situation. You know, you want to see signs of a good manager. How many of those players that that were quickly not good enough for us because of, of the direction we were going hmm. turned to Mickey Adams as their their yeah. next manager? We had three or four that followed him to Brentford, even though he we went okay. there for long. Um, Paul Watson,
1: Paul Watson, Glenn Cockrell. Did Danny Cullip go there?
2: Cullip. Did Darren Freeman go there? Yeah, he might
1: have done. Yeah. yeah and there, there, a load of them ended load of a load of them ended up at Brighton with him as well, yeah. didn't
2: they? Yeah, exactly. Took the words out of my mouth. Brighton. And, and they had a good good spell at Brighton, didn't they? Yeah.
1: They the did promotion.
2: Well yeah, they did well there. There was a lot. I mean, we've got a lot of players in common with Brighton over the years and and yeah. A lot of it's down to that. There's a, there's about seven or eight of them that ended up there. Yeah. So I mean, that just shows you 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 don't you don't follow a manager around if if you don't don't uh, respect them and don't want to play for them, do you?
1: No, of course not. I, I always feel it seems very fitting as well that the last league game at Craven Cottage, as a predominantly standing stadium in the Premier League in 2002, some years later, was against Leicester, who was uh, who were managed by Vicky Adams at that point.
2: Yeah, 0-0, wasn't it?
1: It was nil nil, crap game, but it's, it's yeah, still it's still great to have him back there for that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And he, he's been yeah. he's been back again since as well. I think we, we, he was Port Vale manager a few years ago when we played But I remember he, he told a story as well. This isn't really my sort of story to tell, but I'll share it anyway. Um, that he, when he was managing Port Vale, he turned up and he thought that we were going to be putting out our reserve team that night. It was obviously we were a Premier League team, um, so he wrote up on the on his whiteboard in the changing rooms the team that he thought we put out. Um, and then he picked his team to, to, you know, go up against it. And then when the team sheets went in, we put our first team out. And he said he just walked back into the dress room, dressing room, and said, "Good fucking luck," and walked out again. <laughs> 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 and I think we beat okay. him six nil that night. We hammered it as well. Was that was that yeah. when uh, Kamara scored a hat trick? Was it? Kamara? Oh, I don't know. God knows. I don't remember. I don't remember. You you'll remember that better than I do. What was the score? Six nil. Yeah,
2: Kamara did score a hat-trick in someone We beat him 6-0. I think Juman- it might have been Peterborough, actually. Jumanji Kamara.
1: Yeah, yeah. Used to Abu. No, no, I mean,
2: th- a bit before Abu's time.
1: Abu's hat-tricks are all to come.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Nice one. All right, mate, well, let's bring this to a close then. Rate Mickey Adams' Fulham career out of 10. 10. Yeah, same. Couldn't be a higher 10, high 10 attempt, either. Probably, probably my favourite of all time. Um, Fulham figure, not necessarily as a player, but as a manager and just as a as a, a Fulham person, couldn't be a higher ten. Absolute Fulham legend for me.
2: Yeah, well, Fulham legend, and I mean, it just exceeded everything, didn't he? You know, a penny and he turned it into a million pounds. You know, he, he just yeah. he turned it into a pot of gold. And you know, how can he not be a ten? It was a miracle.
1: Yeah, it was. And who's to say, as well, that had he. You know, we know he was sacked and Kevin Keegan and Ray Wilkins have brought in, but who's to say that Mickey Adams wouldn't have got that team out of Division 2 eventually because he did it with Brighton. So who's to say he wouldn't have done it with us as well eventually?
2: Maybe not eventually, quite as quickly, but... I No, no, I, I just think it was... It was just the situation just didn't suit him. He would have needed more time to build an upgraded version of what he'd already had, Um, which yeah. was a band of brothers mm-hmm. that, you know, with no egos. And yeah, obviously... Al fired, you know, didn't didn't have time on his side, did he? He wasn't prepared yeah. to to wait that long, and no. it, it did yeah. need Keegan to come in and get those big names in. But I don't think that's anything against Mickey Adams. I just think it Definitely was not. it was just um, horses for courses, you know. Yeah. M- Mickey Adams is a great manager, and you know, uh, we'll 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 never forget him, will we? And and you know, Definitely here not. we are, here we are. What twenty five years on? Twenty four years. Really? on? yeah yeah still still celebrating it so yeah yeah you know, it, it'll it'll never be forgotten will it it won't
1: best season ever for me 100 percent. lovely stuff all right mate thank you for that let's pass it back to the main show then Fulham. all right well let's look ahead to friday night then chaps so firstly jimmy i hear your granddad used to play for fulham is that true
0: yeah, just found out a few bits about him. He played them um, during the 1930s, signed at 16, gone to the England under-21s, although I'm not sure if he played for the team. But then, obviously, World War Two started. He went to the RAF with a couple of other Fulham boys. And when he came back, football wasn't really deemed as a big job at the time, so he quit. So, yeah, but no, got a bit of history behind Fulham. My dad was actually a Fulham fan. I'm quite surprised I'm a Brentford fan, actually. I would have thought they might have introduced me to Fulham when I was a kid.
1: Yeah, that, that would have been better. What what was your granddad's name?
0: Frederick Tomlins. I remember seeing um, a cutout of a newspaper article when Fulham beat them uh, Oxford City six nil at the time around the mid thirties. We don't get many
1: six nils these days, that's for sure. More more one nils if if anything. I so, think we uh, do, all right. You yeah, you do. You've been you've been flying through it this season, haven't you? You've had a seven nil against Luton and five nil against Sheffield Wednesday recently. we we we'd love some of that to be honest. What made you become a Brentford
0: fan? Um, my dad took me to a game in 1995 against Hull City, one one nil It was my first ever live football game. Then two days before my birthday in November of the same year, he took me to Shrewsbury Town. And I was a mascot for Brentford then, and that was it. Straight on the bandwagon for better or worse. I've got to
3: say really quickly that I've 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 known Jimmy for a very long time, and um, I, I his his love for Brentford is is quite apparent through a very life or death situation. We went sky <laughs> we, we went skydiving together in like about ten years ago in Sydney, Australia, and he was the first one to jump out. And I swear to God, before the first, maybe the last, but the first words he he said before jumping out the plane were for Brentford and then he just flew
0: out the plane <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's when I it knew was my last words and I've still got the video evidence of that <laughs> madness absolutely madness fair play fair
1: play what would you say then mate is your favourite season following Brentford
0: personally for me I think it's the 1999 season when we won Division 3 purely because if I remember correctly that was the first time I ever had a season ticket for Brentford so it always kind of sticks for me so what um, uh, was that Ron, Ron that was Ron Nodes back at the time. Yeah,
1: yeah, I remember him. Ron Nodes before him. he tried to screw us. Yeah, he did, yeah. And what about the current side? Who's your favourite player at the moment? Or oh, who's your best player at Brentford? I guess, I guess we're not kids anymore. Who's your favourite player? But who's your best player at the moment?
0: You know what? I actually think it's Rico Henry. Because he's a left-back, just does not get enough love for what he does but he's played every single game for us so far this season and he just excels and considering for the first couple of seasons he was so injury prone to get through that and just deliver every single week.
1: Is Brentford's form this season a surprise to you? Did Did you expect to be in with a shout of promotion? I know you've been there or thereabouts the last couple of years and, and either way why are you doing so well aside from uh, the goals of Ollie Watkins of course?
0: Surprise-wise, though, I don't think too much. I think this was going to be the season where we could make a difference and really push for it. One of the first things that we got is we've got such a strong recruitment drive. We go to smaller clubs and teams abroad and bring in younger players, probably with the pretense, if they do well in the league, that they can go on elsewhere. Squad-wise, I think we play well as a unit when we get it together. I mean, we went through like slump quite recently. We've only just sort of picked up again with the Sheffield Wednesday game. So... I'm not surprised that we're doing well. I would have, in an ideal world, I would hope we'd be pushing a bit more for automatic promotion, but I think that's kind of out the window now, really. So depending on how well we do against you and West Brom, I think it's just really sticking to that playoff place.
1: I can tell you now, you are the one team we do not want to be facing in the playoffs at any time. So if, if we're in the playoffs together, we hope you get beat in the semi-finals. Otherwise, if, if we get through to Wembley again, I think there's there's a lot of Fulham supporters who are thinking we just want to avoid Brentford at all costs because we we've got such a um, diabolical record against you.
0: Yeah, but then again, our record in the playoffs is absolutely shoddy. Remember, we're the ones that destroyed the curse of the Millennium Stadium. Up until we played in the playoff final, every team that had the home change in room one.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> all Fulham fans really don't want to face Brentford
3: in the Wembley final because we're pretty sure that you guys will impale us. Is it a sort of what's the vibe like among all the Brentford fans? Are they really wanting reveling in the idea of facing Fulham? Would that be your dream fixture for a playoff final?
0: Yeah, we would like for them. We would mm. like it a lot. I think the sort of planning is hopefully either us or you will come third or fourth, so we'll miss each other in the semi-finals, beat our respective teams and just meet up for a bumper day at Wembley. I'd like to see us play in the funnels. I think, just for like the fixture itself and just how much it would mean to everybody. I think it'd be great. It would be amazing for
1: the team that wins, but I couldn't cope with it. I could not cope with that scenario at all. I think I'd have to start drinking about three days before to get through that one. Oh, I'll join you on that one. <laughs> Every time I go to Fulham, I drive out the M4, I drive past um Griffin Park and then past your new stadium. How's it coming along? Have you have you been along to have a look yet?
0: Yeah, it's a it's a big change for us. It's weird to think that's gonna happen now.
1: Is it now or never for promotion then, considering you've you've got this, this new stadium or is there still a kind of degree of patience around around the place?
0: I think it's a fairytale ending, obviously, to get promoted and go into the Premier League with 20,000 all season. I think if you try and put too much emphasis on something that doesn't come true, then it kind of ruins everything in the future. So all fans are sort of pushing towards getting the promotion and moving to the new stadiums, the Premier League side. But if we did, and I don't think it's the end of the world, I think it's just going to be a matter of adjusting regardless. So whether it's in the Championship or the Premier League, just going to have to go through it.
1: We're going to move back to Fulham then, and J-Mac, let's have a chat about the uh, the Fulham lineup. We kept the same lineup a couple of games ago, and then yeah. there was a, a slight tweak because Joe Bryan's injured and um, Kamara came in for knockout at the weekend. Any changes that you can see? Harrison Reid's training again, potentially, back in the side, do you think?
3: I think it would be pretty harsh on Harry Arta for Harrison Reed to come in and take his place. I think Harry Arta's got better and better the past three games, certainly after his terrible performance against Millwall. I think he's channeling his, you know, natural aggression that he has in the right areas now. And I think he actually had a very good game against Bristol. So I wouldn't I wouldn't put Harrison Reed just yet, but definitely as a sub. There's a bit of a horrible rumor that potentially Joe Bryan's out for the full season, which would be really, really bad news for us. But I think largely for this, I would definitely start. AK forty seven the right and Cavallaro just had such a dodgy game for me against Bristol. I'm not too sure if it'd be good to keep him or not, but I think AK forty seven definitely needs to start. It's this sort of game that he could really impose his physicality upon, sort of the players like Brentford. I was thinking at one point should we maybe start Cabano, but I remember we started Cabano against Brentford at Griffin Park, and it just wasn't. It didn't look too great to be honest I mean I didn't think Cabana did much for us when he came off the bench so I think maybe Cavallero has to ride out this sort of rusty spell of form he's on and I would still keep Anthony Noca on the bench
1: That's the thing with Cavallero though he'll have one crap game one week and then the next he'll it'll look like you know he should be in the Brazilian team for you know obviously he's not Brazilian but you know what I mean he looks outstanding so yeah hopefully he's got a, um, a few good games in the running to come should we have a look at the stats?
3: Yes it's my favourite thing Okay, so Brentford's season so far. They're on course for their highest league finish in some time, actually. The last time they finished higher than the top four in the second tier of English football was in 1946-1947 when they got relegated from the first division. Now, since then, they've been flirting around in the third or fourth tier of English football, but recently back in the championship, they, they did manage to finish fifth in 2014, 2015, but lost out to Middlesbrough in the playoffs, as Jimmy was alluding to earlier, as they don't do well in the playoffs. And they got off to a sluggish start, only winning three of their first 10 games, uh, drawn three, lost four.
0: Obviously, the Southern fans, I'm sure you remember the sort of old days when we're all slugging it down the bottom. It's been such a whirlwind change to come into the championship. And we have held our own there. And that first season we came back to championship and came fifth in the end. That was like a fever dream because we were up in the second place, I think, around Christmas time. Regarding our form at the beginning of the season, to be honest, as a Brentford fan, that's nothing new to us. But I prefer us to start badly and kind of pick up pace. But yeah, at the beginning of the season, I mean, obviously, the first 10 games, as we said, it was not too good. And I remember a lot of uh, calls for our manager to get sacked.
3: You picked up form a bit in the next ten games. You you winning five and losing four with no draws, including winning three on the bounce and also thrashing Luton seven nil. I mean, was it around that time, the seven nil game, where you thought, Okay, this, this manager's sort of getting through the getting through the rough patch now? Did you always have faith in him that he'd be able to carry on what Dean Smith was starting there?
0: Yeah, definitely. He was around for a long time. He obviously came from Bromby, so he had a bit of pedigree behind him managing top teams, even if it's a Danish top team. I never had a personal problem with him. I think a lot of the naysayers are the sort of people that just don't like it when things aren't going right straight away. Um mm. but Thomas Frank, he's been nothing but great to us. He seems like a lovely guy. He always takes time out of the fans and he seems to genuinely care about the club. So when you've got someone like that at the helm, gotta give him an opportunity. Otherwise, what is the point of having them do it, really?
3: Yeah, and you know what? He's got a beautiful head of hair as well. He's like, oh, lovely. It's it's like, I wish I had
1: that. I wish I had that. Typical thing for you to say. that. <laughs> but anyway, let me, I'll
3: continue through these this jungle of stats. I mean, so, um, so yeah, the form continued to improve in uh, the ten games after that as well. You won six, drawing two, and then losing only two. It includes our uh, 1-0 loss to you guys, um, the last derby at Griffin Park. However, the seven games that have followed since have been a dramatic drop in form, winning only two and drawing four. The 5-0 against Sheffield Wednesday at the weekend was your first win in six games, actually. So even though that was an incredible result, the results before then haven't actually, I mean...
0: Uh, As scary as it was, you just got to kind of keep the faith a bit. And picking up against Sheffield Wednesday... It was the best result we could have had and hopefully that's going to give the players a bit of confidence to uh, turn out on Friday.
1: Yeah, well, just looking at your form this season, 17 wins, seven of those have come away from home, 11 defeats, eight of those defeats have come away from home as well. So your, your away form is a bit patchy. I mean, you've got plenty of away wins, but it doesn't seem to be that consistent with those defeats as well.
0: We are nowhere near invincible and we do throw games away with the best of them. It's got to the point now where we just got to concentrate on our games now, win winners. many. you can't be worried about other teams. It's the old cliche,
1: but it's just every game's a cup final now, isn't it? It really is go- running into yeah, the, the last two games of the season. But you don't seem to have a problem with scoring goals. Uh, best goal difference in the league with plus 31 you scored 64 goals and conceded 33. And the the 64 goals that you scored is the joint highest amount in the division with West Brom. And 33 conceded It's the second best defensive record behind Leeds as well. So you, your stats are fantastic, really.
0: Regarding the defensive record, at one point it was the best in all four of the top divisions. Over the last couple of weeks, our defence has kind of lapsed, I think, with Janssen being injured and uh, Jean-Vierre not being able to play some games because of injury as well. It's kind
1: of fallen apart a bit. You've got five clean sheets away from home this season, 11 in total, but you're 11 points better off at this stage this season than you were last year. And you've only won one game against the top six opposition. Guess who that was? Yeah. Um, yeah, of course. Stato says, when Brentford are hot, they're hot. Brentford have won 11 of their 17 games by more than one goal, which is quite the contrast to us. We we tend to win by the odd goal. We've won 12 of our 18 just by, by one goal. So we're, we're effective, but a little bit boring. You've won four of your games by four or more goals. So 7-0 against Luton. against Bristol City, 5-1 against Hull, and then, of course, the 5-0 against Sheffield Wednesday last time. But when you're hot, you're never hot for long enough, which is why you're not in the top two, I guess. So, haven't won more than three on the bounce. Your longest unbeaten run was five games, but that only consisted of two wins with three draws. And your current run at the moment is your weakest run since the start of the season, although that 5-0 win against Sheffield Wednesday could well have reignited your season. Let's let's see. Jimmy, talk us through Brentford's best players this season.
0: We refer to them as the BMW, and that is Saeed Benrahma, Brian Mbwemo, and Oli Watkins. Uh, they've actually managed to score 46 goals for Brentford, and 64 goals we've actually scored this season. So, percentage-wise, that is pretty incredible for what they've managed to do. Oli Watkins, at the moment, he's our main striker after more pie left, and um, So far, he's got 22 goals this season, And he's second top goalscorer after your very own uh, Mitrovic. Oli Watkins' goalscoring record is 151 minutes per goal. However, Watkins has kind of dropped out of the goalscoring at the moment. His last goal was three games ago when we lost to Luton Town 2-1. And moving over to our French wizard on the right wing, Brian Mbwemo. So far, he's got 14 goals and tallied six assists. And at this time of talking, he's actually the seventh top goalscorer in the league. And second top of goal scorer for Brentfords. The third person bringing up the rear is the Algerian Messi, as we like to call him, Said Ben Rama. Um, he is the top of the assist board for Brentfords. Another star player that we really got to is Pontus Janssen. Um, obviously, he was a complete surprise to come to us. I believe he cost us six million and moving across from Leeds, who are obviously a uh, league rival of ours at the moment. I think. Fans were very excited, but kind of nervous about it because it went against the grain of our usual signings, which is young talent, not necessarily proven in that league. Whereas Pontus is well-known and well-regarded um, in the Championship for being a leading defender. But yeah, absolute superb signing from us. And of the 25 appearances that he's had this season, he's led us. And every time he's played, our defences look rock-solid. We're really, really missing him at the moment. And coming up against someone like Mitrovic, we could have really done with him in the squad, but it's not looking like oh, he would be playing. He's
1: injured. Is he injured?
0: Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it's a weird one. He's injured. It's a pain. It's a pain. But um he wins <laughs> three point four aerial duels per game, which I mean is pretty outstanding for a defender. Should he have been playing there, him and Mitro would have been a battle of the gods. Um <laughs> I don't know what to say. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like he's going to be there. He's saying on social media that he is coming back to recovery. But as far as management's concerned, he's not 100%. And until he gets to that 100%, they're not going to risk him for the time being. So it looks like um, it's going to be up to Jean-Vier and Pinnock to keep your goal-scoring mastermind at bay. Come on, Mitro! <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, guys, let's, let's, have a, let's have a score prediction then. I'll come to you first, Jimmy. What do you reckon?
0: You know what? I'm kind of worried that they might have knackered themselves out a tiny bit. I'm going to play sitting on the fence. I'm going to say 1-1. One, one. I reckon Mabuemo will grab us and Mitrovic will uh, grab yours as well.
1: 1-0 from you, from, from the enemy. What about you, J-Mac?
3: My head says 1-1 one, one, and I think a lot of us Fulham fans are, would take a draw at this rate. But at the same time, we also want to get a bit of revenge. But I think, I think in the spirit of being positive, I can see us winning 2-1. But I do think Brentford will certainly score.
1: Oh, yeah. Brentford will definitely score. They've got such a good record at the Cottage. I can't remember the last time we beat them. In, in the 80s or early 90s, it was for sure. Um, obviously, we had a period where we didn't play them very much, but... That's that's neither here nor there. They they tend to really up their game when they come. And that that last game that we played at the cottage, when Morpay scored in in the last minute, and oh, yeah. looked like that was gonna going cost yeah. us promotion, and really, uh that was a real sucker punch. But without that, we wouldn't have had Wembley. But you know, that was that was a tough one to take at the time. Anyway, I I can't see it being any better than a draw either. I, I might I might go one all. I really hope we we do somehow put this bloody home voodoo uh to, to bed but i can't see it i'm gonna go one all as well nice all right okay. jimmy thanks ever so much for joining us mate thanks for taking the time really appreciate it and um hopefully we'll have you on again soon when we play you in the cup when we get promoted and you don't uh <laughs> wow okay yeah nice way to sign off no
0: thanks very much for having <laughs> us guys um you got tickets
1: yeah we're both going yeah you coming
0: no I couldn't get a ticket unfortunately so i'm watching it with my dad's but um yeah, no, Perfect. thanks for having us, guys. The rest of the show goes well. Yeah, made the best team win.
3: Legend. Bye, mate. Cheers, mate.
1: And j mate. cheers to you as well, mate. I'll see you for a few beers before the game on Friday. Looking forward to it.
3: You too, mate. You too. i have the Guinness ready. Lovely stuff.
1: Everybody else listening at home, we'll be back at some point at the weekend to go back over the game with a fine tooth comb. In the meantime, have a great week and see you soon. Cheers. <laughs>